Well, I want to say good morning. First of all, how many of you are going to watch the national championship game tomorrow night? You're going to watch it. Okay. So how many think LSU is going to win? All right. How many thinks Clemson? Cle okay, good. How many, how many think Clemson is going to win? A few of you? Okay. Let me just give you some good news. Our church is about to come into a boatload of money. A boatload. I'm going to do something I've never done in my life. I've taken my 401k, I've taken my retirement, I've taken all of my savings, I've taken all of my cash, and I'm betting tomorrow night the Tigers are going to win. So we're going to have a great, a great time. Okay. Well, I want to welcome those who are watching, uh, those who are watching at our Mill Creek campus, those watching by television, those watching online. Thanks for joining us today. There are some questions that we all have to answer eventually that are going to determine the very significance of our lives. For example, is it more important that I make money or that I make a difference? Is it more important that I make a living or that I make a life? Is it more important that I get what I want or give others what they need? In other words, if you really begin to take your life seriously, and you realize that, uh, you know, you are here for some reason, then you're going to be asking yourself something from time to time. And by the way, you'll ask this more and more as you get older. And the question you're going to ask is, what difference do I make? It would blow your mind how many times over the years as a pastor, I've really asked myself that question, what difference do I make? Now, I've met a lot of people in my life. But I'll tell you one person I've never met in my life and I never will. Doesn't matter how many people I meet. I will never meet anybody just exactly like me. You will never meet anybody just exactly like you. Never. Now, there are people who are very close in appearance and in preference and in their likes and their dislikes, but you dig deep enough. Even these twins that were baptized a moment ago, you dig deep enough and you'll find everybody is unique and everybody is different. Nobody's exactly like anybody else. And I believe there's a divine reason for that. I believe God has made us different so that we can make a difference. God has made us different so that we can make a difference. And let me just say, say this to you. It should make a difference to you that your life makes a difference. You know the number one reason I'm convinced why people commit suicide, why they take their own life? Because somehow, for some reason, they have finally convinced themselves their life makes no difference to anybody. It doesn't make a bit of difference whether they live or whether they die. It ought to make a difference to you that you can make a difference. And it really should be important to you to make a difference, realizing your time on this earth to make a difference is not only relatively brief, you never know when your life is going to end. You never know when the light of your life is going to go out. I read the other day about a, an Uber driver. And it was his first time. He just started the job. So he picks up his first passenger for his first ride on his first day. And they're driving down the road. Without, without any warning, the passenger reached over the front seat. And he taps the guy on the shoulder. And he said, excuse me, sir. Well, the moment he did that, the Uber driver screamed, lost control of his car, nearly hit a bus, jumped the curve, and stopped just inches from going through a plate glass window in a grocery store. Everything was silent for a moment, and then the driver said, man, you scared the daylights out of me. And the passenger said, well, I mean, he was shaking like a leaf. He said, man, I'm, I'm so sorry. 
He said, all I did was just tap you on the shoulder and say, excuse me, sir. And when he said that, the Uber driver dropped his head and he said, well, you know, it really isn't your fault. He said, you see, today is my first day as an Uber driver. And for the last 20 years, I've been driving a funeral hearse. So you, 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 you never know. You never know. One day, death is going to tap you on the shoulder. And it's going to say, um, excuse me, but your time is up. And for many of us, it will be totally unexpected. Uh, we were just talking backstage about the flu and, and people getting the flu. And uh, I, was, I was told about there was a fifth grade uh, little boy. Brought such a bad, sad story. Fifth grade kid in Dallas, Texas, got the flu over the Christmas holidays and died. Uh, my buddy backstage was telling me about a couple that he knew, and uh, the, the kids got sick over the Christmas holidays. Then the dad caught it, then the mom caught it. The dad fought it off. The mom couldn't, went to the hospital, died seven days later. We never know when death's going to tap us on the shoulder and say, your time is up. We don't know when, we don't know where, we don't know how, but it will happen. And when it does, the only question that will really matter is this one. What difference did I make? I believe two things will determine what difference you make and to the degree that you make a difference. Two things, what you know and who you know. Those are the two things that are gonna determine what kind of a difference you made in somebody else's life. What you know and who you know. Nobody, as I've studied history, nobody ever got a bigger bang for the book out of their life outside of Jesus than a man we read about in the New Testament. His name was Paul. And besides Jesus, outside of Jesus, I don't believe anyone who ever has lived in history had a more productive life got more out of his potential, had a greater long-term impact than this man who listened to what he did. Without any cell phones, without any internet, without any technology, without any television, without radio, he took a little seed called the gospel and he went as far as he could go and planted that seed everywhere that he could and the, explosion, the result has been the explosion of Christianity that we are still seeing over 2,000 years later all over the world. And every time I read about Paul and I realize the influence he had even to this day, I ask myself the question, how did he do that? How did he pull that off? What was the secret of his unbelievable influence and impact? Well, we're in a series, we're in the book of Philippians, we're calling Joyride. And I think you would agree that you won't get any more joy out of your life than knowing that you really made an eternal difference with your earthly life. And so the question is, what did Paul know? Who did Paul know that we can know that will enable us to have the kind of impact that he had? Well, he tells us. He doesn't keep it a secret. We're in the book of Philippians chapter three. If you've got your little booklet, it's on page 40. And I wanna share with you today three things that if you know these three things, if you really do know them, you will make an eternal difference with your life that will outlist you, outlast you, and outlive you long after you are gone. Here we go. Number one, we must know the supreme person of Jesus. We must know the supreme person of Jesus. You know, you've heard it said many times at the end of the day, it's not what you know, it's who you know that really matters. And I've seen that in my own life. It's not what you know, it's who you know. 
Well, Paul in this this passage is looking back on his life. He's looking at all the people that he had met, all the things he had learned, all the things he had accomplished in his life. And when he looks back on his life, he makes this incredible statement. Listen to what Paul says. He said, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them, and keep this word in mind, we'll come back to it, garbage, that I may gain Christ. Now, here's what Paul is doing. He's thinking like an accountant. And he's describing things he thought were gains and profitable in his life. Things that he thought were his assets before he knew Jesus. And then he looks at his life and and, and he looks at that point after he came to know Jesus, he compared all those things he thought were such a big deal, all those things he thought were so important, all those things he'd given his life to, he compared all of those things to knowing Jesus. And just like that, he moved all of them from the asset column to the liability column. He said, you know what? Compared to knowing Jesus, all that stuff I thought was so important and all those things I thought were so important and all those events I thought were such a big deal, they were a total loss. By the way, the word loss is only used one other time in the New Testament and it's used in the book of Acts and it describes the complete loss of a cargo of a ship after it shipwrecked in the ocean. In other words, here's what Paul was saying. Paul said, I look back on my life and I took everything I thought was a big deal, everything I thought was most important, everything I'd given my life to, and when I compared it to knowing Jesus, I threw it all overboard. It was a total loss. It was absolutely unimportant. So let me ask a question. How about you? How about you? What's your list? What are the things in your life right now you say, now these are the things that are gained to me. These are the things I put in the asset column of my life. These are the things that are most important. This is what I think life is all about. Maybe it's your academic achievements. Maybe it's your athletic trophies. Maybe it's your financial stability. Maybe it's your job title. Maybe it's your artistic gifts. Maybe it's your physical beauty. Doesn't matter. If Paul is right, here's what Paul is saying. You take all these things that you're sweating bullets over and all these things you're burning the midnight oil for and all the things you're busting it to have and busting it to get and busting it to do. He said, take all of those things. He said, if you don't know Jesus Christ, your life is a total loss. It's all in the liability column. The great 20th century British novelist C.S. Lewis said this. He said, he who has Christ and everything else has no more than he who has Christ alone. In other words, everything is nothing without Jesus. I want to say that again. Everything without nothing is Jesus. As a matter of fact, Paul said, everything I've ever conceived, everything I've ever achieved, everything I've ever received in life, it's just garbage compared to knowing Jesus. Now, I'm embarrassed to tell you what the word garbage means in the English language because this is the only place the word garbage is ever used in the New Testament. And, and, and it's a word that 2,000 years ago, you would have never said the word publicly. You would have never used it in mixed company. 
You say, wow, what does the word mean? Well, I'm, okay, it literally means bodily excrement. That's what it means. Or we'll say buffalo chips, okay? You get the picture, okay? He said, everything you think is such a big deal, you take your titles and your treasure, your position and your possessions, your awards and your achievement, your trophies in the case and the car in your garage. He said, if you do not know the supreme person of Jesus, you are spiritually bankrupt. It is all a total loss. Now, this is where I want you to listen carefully. The word know that Paul refers to here does not refer to intellectual knowledge. He's not talking about knowledge in your head. That word know is a very special word and it refers to knowledge that is personal, knowledge that is private, knowledge that is intimate, knowledge that is experiential. So here's what I want you to hear. This is so important, particularly if you're a regular churchgoer, if you consider yourself a very religious person, if you have been baptized, if you serve in the church, if you're kind of crossing the, the, the T's and dotting the I's, I want you to listen to what I'm about to tell you. It is one thing to believe in Jesus. It's another thing to hear about Jesus, think about Jesus, or even talk about Jesus. But that is an entirely different thing from knowing Jesus. Knowing about Jesus will never move the needle in your life. Knowing about Jesus will never make you different in life, never. But if you know Jesus, he makes all the difference. Because let me tell you something about this book. You know, why, you know why God gave us the Bible? You said, yeah, I know why God gave us the Bible. He wants us to know all about him wrong. God did not give us this book so we would know about him. God gave us this book so we would know him. There's a big difference between knowing about him and knowing him. That's what the Bible was written for. So if you want to make the greatest difference in life you possibly can and be as different as you possibly can be in a positive way, you must know the supreme person of Jesus. I am absolutely convinced because Jesus even talked about this. There are people that will not go to heaven who think they are. And they think they're going to heaven. They think they're okay because they knew about Jesus. They thought about Jesus. They talked about believe, uh, Jesus. They believed in Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus. I was driving in this morning and I was going over this message in my mind. And just, I just out loud, I said, Lord, I am so glad I know you. Yes, I know a lot, a lot about you. Yes, I've given my life to studying what God's word says about you. And I'm glad about the things, but Lord, I'm so glad I know you. Here is my question. Do you really personally, intimately, experientially, do you know Jesus? You wanna make a difference in your life? We've gotta know the supreme person of Jesus. Number two, we must know the supernatural power of Jesus. It's not enough just to know the supreme person of Jesus. We've gotta know the supernatural power of Jesus. Now, I want you to buckle your seatbelt because we're really gonna dig deep right here and some of you are gonna go, really, wow, aha. Paul knew it's not enough just to know the person of Jesus. He said, you must know in a real way the power of Jesus. So Paul makes a statement that I'm going to tell you as a theologian and as a scholar and as, a, as, as someone who studied the Bible all his life, when I read this, it just, it blows me away. It blows my mind. He said, I want to know Christ. Well, we all want to know Christ. But then he says this, yes, 
to know the power of his resurrection. The greatest power the world's ever seen, the greatest power the world has ever known, the greatest power the world's ever heard of is resurrection power. Let me tell you why I know that's true. It is one thing to have the power to kill somebody, but it is a totally different thing to have the power to bring a dead person back to life. And there's not a computer, an engine, a chemical compound, or any other kind of power, whether it's electrical or nuclear, it doesn't matter. There's not another power in the world that can pull that off. We can kill anybody, anytime, any place we want to if we want to bad enough. But it's a totally different thing to bring that person from the dead. That takes resurrection power. And what Paul is telling us is amazing. Here's what he's telling us. He said the power that God used, now think about this, the power that God used to raise his son from the dead is available to us. You can know that power. I can know that power. And you don't just take that power, put it in a jar and stick it on a shelf. Paul said, that power is available to us. Now, now, now I want you to let that sink in because it's one thing to believe in the power that raised Jesus from the dead. I mean, if I were to say to you, do you believe Jesus is alive? Yes, I do. Do you believe that God really raised him from the dead? Yes, I do. Do you really believe God had the power to raise Jesus from the dead? Yes, I do. Do you know that power? Do you personally experience that power? Right now, could you look yourself in the mirror and say you have that power filling you in your heart and in your life? Because here's what we miss so often. The risen Lord didn't just come back from the grave to save us. He sent his Holy Spirit to live in us. Why? He wants us to have the same power that raised him from the dead. And let me tell you something. If you want to be a frustrated person, the, 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 the average Christian that I meet is frustrated. The average Christian is frustrated. Not a lot of joy in their life. Oh, they know they're saved. They know they're forgiven. They know they have eternal life. But they also know deep down, I am not hitting on all eight cylinders. There's got to be more to the Christian life than what I'm experiencing in my own life. And let me tell you, if you want to be a frustrated person, come to know the supreme person of Jesus, but fail to know and experience on a daily basis the supernatural power of Jesus. I cannot even tell you, I cannot tell you how many times that I've shared the gospel with someone and, and, and I've shared with them how, hey, you're a sinner, you need a savior, he's that savior, he died on the cross, he came back from the dead. If you accept him into your life, he'll change you, he'll make you a new person, he'll give you a new heart. And I'll talk and I, and I think, man, they're ready to give their hearts to Christ. And then I would say something like this. I'll say, okay, would you like to give your heart to Jesus? I cannot tell you how many times I've had people say, Oh, no, I, I couldn't do that. Well, well, why not? I can never live up to that. I, I, I can never pull that off. That, that life's too hard for me. I mean, I, I wouldn't last two minutes. I'd feel in a heartbeat. Now, <clears throat> I used to be kind of hard on people like that, but I've kind of thought that through. I've kind of changed my mind because I have a point. You say, what do you mean? All right, think about it. You claim to be a follower of Jesus. You would say to me, Pastor, I'm a follower of Jesus, okay? So you understand as a follower of Jesus, Jesus says, okay, if you're gonna follow me, you gotta turn the other cheek. If you follow me, you gotta go the second mile. If you follow me, you gotta love your enemies. 
If you follow me, you can't sue other people even if they do you wrong, if they're believers. If you follow me, I expect you to keep the Ten Commandments. Now, let me ask you a simple question. Do you think you can pull that off on your own? I mean, if you do, you've got an ego bigger than a battleship. Because I got news for y'all. You can't do it. I can't do it. There's no way we can do it. Because the point of the matter is, it is impossible. You are right. On your own, you can't do it. You know, there's some people, and I, I appreciate them. They're, I call them, you know, they're, they're these positive thinking gurus. You know, they say, oh, nothing in life is impossible. You know, I've heard people say, boy, if you can, you know, if you can conceive it, you can achieve it. Well, that sounds good. It's just not true. I mean, there are some things in life that are absolutely impossible. I hate to burst if you're a positive thinking guy. I'm just gonna be honest with you. Let me give you an example. You can't dribble a football. You can't do that. You can't lift a bald-headed man by his hair. You can't do that. You can't slam a revolving door. Try it. You can't do that. It's impossible. You can't toil a baton in a mobile home. You can't do that. You can't get bubble gum out of a cashmere sweater. You can't do it. You can't keep spam calls off your cell phone. You can't, absolutely can't do it. Impossible. Well, let me tell you something else that's absolutely, completely impossible. You cannot live the Christian life apart from the power of God. You cannot be a follower of Jesus in your own power. It is absolutely impossible. However, if you know the God of power, you can live in the power of God. You say, how do I get that power? It's not that hard. You know how you get that power? You ask for it. You believe you've received it. You surrender to it. And then you live like it is true. So let me give you the cold, hard truth. Let me, let, let's get real practical. You ready for this? There is no sin in this world that has the, enough power to control anyone if you know the person of Jesus and you have the power of Jesus. So let's just get down to earth. You ready for this? You do have the power to control your thoughts. You do have the power to discipline your body. You do have the power to persevere through problems. You do have the power to turn the other cheek. You do have the power to live by the golden rule. You do have the power to take the, to take the world by the tail and make it your slave and not your master. And if you want to make a real difference in your life as a parent, as an employee, as a boss, as a son or a daughter or a neighbor or a friend or a citizen, you must know, you must show, and you must grow in the supernatural power of God every day. And if you want it, you can have it. Listen, I don't mean to brag. Let me tell you something. If I thought for a second that I was not preaching right now in the supernatural power of God, I'd walk off this stage. I'm not going to be up here in the flesh. By the way, I've tried that. It doesn't work out too well. And the one thing I, I you know, I've told you this before. As I walk onto this platform, I say it every, every single Sunday. I believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. As I get up here and I'm opening my Bible, I'm saying to my breath, 
this moment, I am accepting by faith. I'm gonna be preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm not a PC. I'm not a privileged character. The same power that's available to me is available to you. And if you wanna make a difference in your life, not only must you know the supreme person of Jesus, every day you ought to know the supernatural power of Jesus. And then here's the last thing Paul said he knew. He said, we must know the suffering passion of Jesus. Now, can I be honest? This is kind of the part where preachers would rather just stop. This is the part of the sermon that preachers would rather leave off. This is the part of sermon that we don't like to hear, but we need to hear. So let me warn you to brace yourself because the third thing that Paul said he wanted to know and we must know if we're going to truly make an eternal difference in the life, uh, in this life, it's not just the supreme person of Jesus. It's not just the supernatural power of Jesus. It is the suffering passion of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you before I read this verse, when I read this, I thought, boy, Paul, you are serious. You weren't playing games. You really were all in on this deal. He said, I want to know Christ. I get that. I want to know the power of Christ. I get that. But then Paul said this. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, get in my club today. <laughs> When's the last time you got up and prayed that prayer? I bet it's been a long time, if ever. No, we say, God, bless me. God, heal me. God, give me. We never say, Lord, I even want to know what it's like to suffer like you did. So I'm willing to suffer for you. And you say, well, why is that so important? Here's why. Do you know what God's number one goal is for your life? Contrary to what you'll hear some people say, God's number one goal for you is not so you'll drive a Mercedes. God's number one goal for you is not that you'll wear a Rolex. God's number one goal for you is not that you'll live in a million dollar home. God's number one goal for you is to become just like Jesus. That's his goal. That's what he's trying to do every day in your life and every day in my life. He wants you to become just like Jesus. And here's what I want to tell you. If you're going to become just like Jesus, you don't just enjoy the view from the mountaintop. You have to endure the trouble in the valley. You know what I've learned? I've learned that you worship God on the mountaintop, but you walk with God in the valley. God will never be more real to you ever than when you are in the valley. See, there's no such thing as a suffer-free Christian life. Hey, let me, let me tell you something. You, particularly if you're under the age of 40 or under the age of 30, let, let, me, let me get you ready for something. More than ever before, ever in the history of our country, if you're going to stand for Jesus and you're going to speak truth, you're going to suffer. I'm just telling you right now, you're going to suffer rejection. I don't care how much you love Jesus. I don't care how much you love other people. If you today in this age, if you stand for Jesus, 
and you speak truth, you're intolerant, you're bigoted, you're homophobic, you're judgmental, you're hypocritical. Just the way it is. So eventually, emotionally, you're going to suffer heart, a hurt and heartache. Physically, you're going to suffer problems and pain. But I'm telling you, there is nothing that will focus you more on Jesus, draw you closer to Jesus, make you more dependent on Jesus, and give you more of a desire to know Jesus than when you know his suffering passion. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I sometimes get embarrassed and ashamed that I don't suffer more for Jesus. And let me just tell you how bad it is for all of us, okay? Here's how spoiled we are. This is really funny when you think about it. We think if we come to church when it's raining, we took one for Jesus. Let's be honest. And there are people all over the world that will open their Bibles in underground caves knowing if they're caught, they're dead. We don't know the suffering passion of Jesus. And let me tell you why this is such a big deal. I am convinced that people are drawn more to a life that shows Jesus in the bad times than they are to lips that speak Jesus in the good times. Now, both are necessary. And we ought to always say what we believe about Jesus. But you will never have a stronger witness in your life than when you go through suffering and pain and heartache and sorrow and rejection and ridicule and you show by your life that you truly believe in Jesus. I, I got a, a book in the mail over Christmas. I didn't even a chance to look at it. I got a book in the mail from a man who lives in Pennsylvania, watches this on television. It's kind of one of those self-published books and I... I really didn't want to pay that much attention to it because I got so many books I try to read. But there was a letter in the book and I hadn't had a chance to read the letter. I'd just been so busy. So yesterday I was kind of doing some catch up and I was sitting and, and I noticed the letter in the book. So I picked it up. I read his letter. And the whole book was written about how uh, he had come to believe and know the real power and person and passion of God when his 29-year-old son was killed by a drunk driver. And man, I was hooked. I mean, I was reading this whole letter yesterday. So I picked up that little booklet and just started skimming through it. And he was just talking about God and God's greatness and God's goodness. And then my mind wandered back. I, I met some truly in, in, incredible, inspirational people in my life. Of all the people in my life I've ever met, ever, I have never met anyone that was more incredible are more inspirational than a lady named Laurie Lanter. Now, some of you know Laurie Lanter because she was in your small group. In fact, her small group leader's here in our church. Now, if you didn't know Laurie, and it's your loss if you didn't, she was a longtime cross-pointer who went to be with the Lord about a year and a half ago. She was a relatively young lady, she spent years in a horrific, debilitating, vicious battle with cancer. But every Sunday, Laura would show up at our church. And every time she would come to our church, Laurie would come out to the lobby. She'd always make it a point. She'd come out to the lobby and she'd give me a big hug. She had a smile. I mean, it would brighten the sun. She was always smiling. 
And she always made it a point to come up to me, even toward the end when her body had really grown weak and frail. She'd hug my neck. She'd tell me how much she loved Jesus. She'd tell me how good God had been to her. Six years to the month before Laurie died, I got this email from her, and I kept it. And here's what she said. She said, apart from divine healing, Mike and I will remain at a war of sorts with this disease for the rest of our married lives. We hope that Christ will see Christ in us through each battle. Through our cancer experience, Mike and I are intentionally aware of something, that we are made for God. God is not made for us. Isn't that a great statement? That we are made for God. God is not made for us. We are where we are in this stage of our lives together for something greater than ourselves. Although we don't know what is going to happen next, we are Christ confident. Boy, I love that phrase. We believe that we qualified for this assignment of sorts and that it is a privilege to be a good sufferer. Man, I got that email. I'm going to tell you, I, I couldn't have, I had tears. It is a privilege to be a good sufferer. How many times have you ever thought about suffering being a privilege? No, you know what we think? Suffering's a pain. Suffering's a problem. Not to Lori. She said, I thank God for the privilege to be a good sufferer. Well, two years later, four years before she died, she sent this email. I've been enjoying my status for many years, but the last four and a half years have been especially purposeful. Alien status. Blessed enough, long enough to lose my hair now for the third time. Trust me, once is enough. Blessed to experience sustaining grace mentally, emotionally, and physically. Along with the joy of sharing the upside, the Jesus side to suffering in the life of the believer, I wouldn't swap lives with anyone I know. I am blessed to be me. Now let's let that sink in a minute. <laughs> I watched this lady year after year after year. Went from chemotherapy to chemotherapy. Therapy. From radiation to radiation. From treatment to treatment. I saw her lose her hair three different times. And then she sends this email to me. I am blessed to be me. So the day comes and Laurie's in the hospital. And we didn't even know she'd be able to come home and die or not. That was her last wish, just to go home and die. So her small group leader, one of my best buds, one of our deacons, he called and, and uh, we went to visit her in the hospital. By her own admission, she was in the hospital just to get ready to go home to die. And we knew it'd be the last time we'd see each other on this earth. She knew it, I knew it, we all knew it in the room. Nobody's playing games. So we walk into the room. She's lying there in the bed, skin and bones, running a fever. 
she gets up out of bed, and I mean she struggled. She gets up out of bed, comes over to us, hugs our necks, chairs her over on the side, she sits down, and she talks with us. And I said to her, Lori, I am so frustrated. She said, why? I said, because I came to minister to you and instead you're ministering to me. We had one of the sweetest talks you could imagine. We had prayer, we started to walk out of the room and our last words were heard to us were something like this. I love you and I love Jesus and I'm ready to meet him. Laurie Lanner touched more lives sick than she ever did healthy. She made more of an impact in her suffering in the valley than she probably ever did blessing God on the mountaintop. And I got in that car and I rode home and even though on the one hand I was sad about my friend and I was kind of sad knowing that Laurie, I won't see you again on this earth but then there was this sunshine of joy that burst into my heart. But you know what? I will see you again. And it'll be totally different the next time I do see you. And she reminded me and I remind you of the difference you will make when you know the person, the power, and the passion of Jesus because that's the kind of difference that will last for all eternity. Let's pray together.